This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thank you to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. Tell me, tell me, tell me, You're listening to Radio Kidnappers, the voice of Hawke's Bay, and this is a program called The Wonderful World of Wardini Books. It's my pleasure, as always, to have in the studio the wonderful Lou from Wardini Books in Havelock North. How are you going? Very well indeed, thank you. I love you here. Thank you. I had it done yesterday. Yeah, it looks great. People have been complaining to me about my hair being too long. Nah, keep it long, Ken. Yeah, and I've been saying to them, every time someone criticises my hair, I'm going to grow for an extra month. Yep, So I'm going to have it as long as what Jesus had it. Yeah, why not? Yeah, that's right. Works out all right for it. Oh, no, it didn't, did it? I don't think no, it was his hair, though. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, as always, like I say, wonderful to see you. We've got three fabulous books to have a look at today. And the first one is called In Amber's Wake. What's that all about? It is. And because I've got two books for you that are out in... In January, I know we're in January, yes. but you know they're not quite here yet. So I'm passing them around um, the staff at Wardini Books. So I haven't brought them in today. So the first is In Amber's Way, as you say, and it's by Christine Lunens, and she wrote um, Caging Skies, which was turned into the Jojo Rabbit film. Ah, oh, yes, that was a yeah. great film. I enjoyed that. It's a great film, mm. eh? So she's a New Zealander. I think she's from the South Island. And um, so In Amber's Wake is a brand new novel and it's set in the 80s and it's got the backdrop of um, activism, <clears throat> the Rainbow Warrior, that kind of thing, mm. which was massive in New Zealand history, obviously. Um, and Amber is a woman. She is a, a young woman with quite a sort of traumatic past. And at one of these um, hippy-dippy music festivals, she meets, she's, she's wandering around in a waif-like state and catches the eye of Ethan, who is our protagonist. He's, it's a first-person mm. narrative. And um, he's quite captivated by her right from the start. And they, they spend the night sitting on a hill looking out at the stars, you know, and it's mm. all very Sounds magical. Lovely. It's all lovely. Um, and this is the start of their love story because this, this is a very deep, obsessive love story. And um, off they go, and he can't believe he didn't sort of like strike while the iron was hot, and he leaves it a bit. And by the time he, he comes across Amber again, she's deeply involved with a man called Stuart. And Stuart is about two generations older than wow. she is. Yeah, he's a Korean War veteran. Mm. So he's and, and Ethan's like, what? What is this all about? You know, she's this <laughs> yes. vibrant young woman. She's barely yes. eighteen, I think, um, and he's a little bit older. Um, and Stuart is a great deal older. But the thing is with Amber, she's got, to say she's got daddy issues is a bit of an understatement. Mm. So she's looking for someone safe and reliable. And Stuart is a rich man. He's been a financial investor. But he's got children older than her right. and grandchildren. Um, and Ethan's like, what are you doing? You know, you're sort of signing yourself up for a life of wiping his bum. You know, yes, <laughs> that kind of argument. Do they think she's a gold digger? Well, they, you know, and there's that going on as well. So what is going on with Amber and why is she marrying Stuart and marry him? She does. And then the rest of the book is really about how they they meet and things happen between Amber and Ethan because they are in love, mm. you know, and she can't deny it. So why has she done this yes, other thing? Yes, why is it? Um, and it's her desire for, for safety and almost like self-punishment, really. So she's, she's quite the interesting psychological study. And Ethan is... Um, I find him a bit more naive. I don't know if that's intentional in mm. the writing, but sometimes you just think, well, why would you think that of her if mm. you love her so much? You know, and he makes some quite big stuff ups, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. So quite the interesting story. It doesn't sound like it might have a happy ending. It's got an interesting ending. 
Yeah. Yeah. So who's going to read their book? Yeah, I think anyone that's interested in Christine because she because she wrote um, Caging Skies, mm. what was known as Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, um, the, it is quite an intriguing love story. Um, they're quite frustrating, the pair of them, mm. really. Yeah, it'd be good for book clubs because there'd be a lot of discussion come out of it. What would you rate it out of 10? Don't know, haven't thought that one through. Oh, okay. Yeah. Tell us about The Maid, is that a historical novel? No, it's not. Oh, well, why does so I think that? I know. I suppose because maids, you think yeah. of maids in their Victorian outfits. And this maid, uh, Molly, Molly Maid. Molly the Maid. <laughs> <laughs> Molly Gray, um, she's a young woman. I think she's about 25 and she's lived with her gran. Um, her mum had some issues. They're in this America somewhere. It doesn't actually state, but if you think of New York or one of the big mm. cities. Um, and she's lived with gran. They're not particularly well off. Gran's in service as well to... Um, somebody with a mansion, mm-hmm. goes off and cleans there every day. And Molly goes to work at the uh, Grand Regency Hotel and she loves it. She is very um, organised. She doesn't read people very well. Um, she has to go back to Gran and say, well, this happened and their face was doing this. And Gran will go, ah, OK, mm. well, that was probably concern, Molly. You know, mm-hmm. So there's some kind of, it's never said that she's autistic, but there's clearly something going on there. She doesn't read people very well. So that makes it easy to manipulate. And um, she knows that people at work don't particularly like her and that they laugh about her. And she can't tell if they're laughing at her or with her. You know, <laughs> yes. Is that going on? But she loves her job. She's the best maid. She gives absolutely 100%. And she's she's made some close bonds with regular customers. Mm. You know, there's the Chens and they think she's marvellous. And, you know, she what does she say? She says, you know, I have to return this to a state of perfection. You know, she yeah, wants right. to return yeah. everything to a state of perfection. Well, it was, yeah. Actually made me want to clean my house. It was yeah. bizarre. Because that's <laughs> not something I normally get the urge to do. No. <laughs> yeah. So, um so that's that's Molly and and she likes Juan Miguel in the kitchen. He's a, a dishwasher and she goes there and he gives her a nice glass of water when she's thirsty. And she's got this thing about Rodney, who's the bartender. He's he's just very handsome boy and he's got a very smooth chest. <laughs> that's the thing she likes about him. Um, so and and. Uh, so those are the relationships that she has in the hotel. Um, and then the catalyst for the story really moving along is she goes in to clean for this very rich couple, um, a rich man called Mr. Black, and his younger wife, Giselle, his second wife, the second Mrs. Black. And um, she's kind of forged this kind... She thinks it might be a friendship with Giselle, even though it's not appropriate for her to mm. do so. Um, and Mr. Black's horrible. He's just very dismissive and... and blunt she's the hired help yeah yeah and she's the hired help and he's clearly not very nice to Giselle either Mm. so she goes in one day and Giselle's upset and then she says okay well I'll come back later and she goes back later and she's like oh I need to pick this up and what's going on in here and Mr Black is dead as a dead as a doornail (laughs) in his bed and Molly tries to call for help and then she sees something in the mirror and she flakes out when she gets really really stressed she faints yeah and then when she comes to, you know, on and on it goes. And there is something really interesting going on in the hotel. And Molly's right at the heart of it. But she, because she doesn't get all the cues that she should, she just take, you know, if you said to her, do this, face and this value. is this, she mm. would just take it absolutely yeah. at face value. And so she's um, ripe for manipulation. So all the way through, you're like, well, who is, who is being genuine to Molly and who is um, not? And... You know right from the start that Gran's died yeah. fairly recently. Molly's on her own with all this. No. So, yeah, it's it's 
fascinating, it's funny, it's a really good intricate plot about, you know, who killed Mr. Black. Yeah. Or was he killed? Yeah. You know, so it was just great fun, actually. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, it sounded like it might be quite comedic in a way, but then you told yeah. me about uh, how everyone sort of takes advantage of the girl, and I thought, oh, wow, two depressing books so far. No, it's not it's really. Not, it's no. not a depressing one? No. Okay, so just one depressing one. That was the first one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell us about Hine and the uh, Tohunga Portal. That this, sounds a bit like sci-fi to me. It's just brilliant. It's by Atari Shaman. And um, look at that for a cover. I love it. Yeah. It's got all sorts going on. So this is Hine, and mm-hmm. that, that is also Hine. But there's some, there are two worlds for this girl. <clears throat> so Hine and her brother Hohepa, who's about eight. I don't think we know how old Hine is, but I would say she's probably about 11 or 12. Mm. Um they go to school, they go to Kura, and um, Huhepa is a bit of an annoying little brother, you know, and he thinks he's the best at Kapahaka, and he's very loud, yeah. you know, and Matua says, oh, you're very loud, <laughs> you know, and he takes that as a great compliment. Um, and he's, they're going home from school one day, and Huhepa's skipping on ahead, and he's singing, and it's driving Hine mad, and she just tells him to shut up, and in he gets cross, and he runs off into, this, into the woods where they're not supposed to go, mm. and, she, and she's like, oh, God, you know. Mama and Papa are going to be really cross. I've got to go and find him now. And then she feels something going off in the woods and she sees Horhepa ahead with his little backpack on that's nearly as big as him. And then she sees things rise out of the ground, mm. these these Maori warriors, but their eyes are black and their teeth mm. are sharpened to points. Ooh, and they movie. grab him and they take him. And she runs after and she goes through this portal as well. And... and um, finds herself in this this deep dark forest and um, she knows she's got to find her little brother mm. and so then the rest of the story is about where's Hohepa gone so you mm. get his chapters where he's been captured and he's in this um, there is a very bad Tohunga um, who is you know magic man who is um, bewitching animals in this spirit realm because mm. that's where they've gone it's not here and now anymore mm. um more are still alive and um tuatara have been trans transformed into um tanifa you know and he's yeah. got all these and he's he's making dogs into big slathering beasts mm, and awesome. puaka into big <laughs> boars and stuff and so and hine meets um, mystical women you know it, it's maui's grandmother mm. oh, wow. you know and she's got skin with lava flowing out of it and she's made of fire but maui is a mokapuna and mm. she's very cross because he's stolen all her fire you know from her fingernails it's all the old myths and legends wow. blended into this story that is extremely exciting and edgy seat the whole way through so it's sort of like a parallel universe yeah yeah, yeah. well it's a spi- oh, it's supposed to be like a spirit realm or, yeah, another realm yeah. where all these things are in existence and they can see us, but we're not really aware. And there are the, um, the fairies as well. And I haven't memorised the word, um, something payarihi. You'd know it if I said it. Mm. But, you know, the Māori yeah. um, fairies with the pale skin. So um, just all the way through, it's quite violent, though. Mm. But when you look back to things like The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe... Yeah. That's quite violent. The fighting in that is quite violent. So these are there are epic battles yeah. in this, and people die, and people get speared by Taiha, and you know what? Well, yeah. With well, if you look at the big bad wolf, those all all those grim stories, on, they were they? very violent as well. Yeah, that sounds like a fascinating read. So bearing in mind the violence aspect of it, I mean. I think anyone's going to love it, aren't they? But who's, yeah. who's it really aimed at? It is aimed at children. Yeah. So. Um, but it was edgy. You see, it's tough yeah. for me <laughs> as well. But I would say it's probably aimed at a nine or ten. If you've got one of those robust readers that can mm. do anything, 
Um, and don't mollycoddle them. No. A lot of kids can, can do this kind of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Sounds like a patient here, it? Oh, absolutely. Couldn't yeah. put it down. And available right now at all Indie Books yeah. in Havelock North or in Napier. Good on you, Lee. My pleasure as always. You look after yourself. We'll talk to you same time, same place next week. Thanks, Ken. Who wrote the book out loud? I wonder who. Yeah. Who wrote the book out loud? This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thank you to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.